greatest need? What is our greatest need? And in a room like this, with a variety of us here listening in person and online, um, there's a lot of answers probably to that, and you would probably all be in the same category. But I would like to suggest that our ultimate greatest need is to be loved, and not just any old love, but a love that really sees us, a love that knows us, a love that cares about us, we long for it, we search for it, we can create a world around that idea to bring that into ourselves. And our need though is met with a significant problem. We find ourselves incapable of really getting that need met from anything that we can do, any relationship we can make, anything that we can create with one incredible exception, God. And what he's done to meet that need, that longing for in us is nothing short of miraculous. I think you would agree with that. Because nothing but an actual miracle could fill, truly fill in a satisfying way the need that we have for love. And as we move through this, I want us to continue with that focusing question in mind. What, what do I see about God? What is true about God and what I'm reading? Because the more we train ourselves to go into God's word with that question in mind, the less likely we are to go into the word and be discouraged and offended because it didn't give us the quick fix that we were looking for. Because while we're there, we'll see it and we'll say, all right, God, you're reminding me about what is true about you, no matter what else is going on. Because my situation, my feelings, my emotions, my expectations, my plans, my maturity, everything changes from any given day. So if I go into the word constantly expecting that fix for myself, I'm, I'm gonna eventually be disappointed because it's not a, gonna be a quick fix. Sometimes it's gonna be complicated and even disturbing or offensive when I get into the word. But if I go to be reminded about who God is, that is steady. That is steady. That will always be there for us. And that's why it's so important. So as we go um, into our study, I have another question for you. What is the best commentary on the Old Testament? The New Testament. So with that, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We're going to actually begin tonight in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7. You can jump all the way to verse 15. While you're getting there, I'll go ahead and... I'm so proud of you guys have Bibles. Good. I hear all the pages turning. Or the, oh, there's a lot of Bibles here tonight. I love that. Um, <laughs> um, while you're, while you're getting there, Acts 7.15, while you're getting there, Acts chapter 7, verse 15, while you're getting there, I want us to also be thinking about um, the story we're going to go back to in just a minute, the account. The account that we, are, we have covered over the last two weeks is an account that is, has a bookend to it. It ends, it begins at the ending of Genesis, and then it ends for us tonight in, in chapter 14. But I want us to really think about something that's incredible about the bookends that are there. At the end of Exodus, we have a procession at the end of Genesis. And at the end of chapter 14, we have a procession. It's bookended by two significant processions. One in Genesis, at the end of Genesis, which ends when they're in Egypt. Remember that? The last two words we talked about that last time. One is Israel going up from Egypt to the nation of Israel going up from Egypt to the, what will eventually be the, their promised land, right? One is at the end of Genesis, Joseph saying, let my people go. Joseph says that. 
And Pharaoh says, you got it. And I'm going to send all the king's men and all the king's horses, all the king's men with you. And they're going to accompany you all the way up with a big celebration. It's pretty exciting. Not only that, but as they travel up, if you picture it on a map, there's a direct shot from Goshen to Israel, that geographical location of Israel. It's a direct shot. It's north and, and east up there. But they don't take that most direct route that time at the end of Genesis. They actually dip down into that peninsula and come back up. Okay? And while they're doing that, the nations around them are seeing it, that all these people are heading up and there's, there's great fanfare and all the king's horses and men are there and all the things going on and the nations around are going, this must have been a great man. This is an incredible occasion. And the nations are in wonder as they see all the Jews head up to Zion. And as they see, essentially, all the Gentiles, Egyptians, heading up to Zion. It's a picture. Hold on to it. We're getting, it's going to get even better. Now, at the book end, at the end of chapter 14, where we're going to wrap up tonight, it's also a procession. And it's also accompanied by Egyptians and Israelites. And it's also all the king's horses and all the king's men. <laughs> and it's also all the Israelites, right? And it's also the nations surrounding, because we read later in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, that Rahab, who had heard about it, ooh, words out. We heard about your God, right? All the nations heard. And the same route happens again. They could have taken a direct shot from Goshen, Egypt, straight up into the promised land. A straight shot. What does God say? You're not ready for battle. You're not ready for that yet. So down they go, back up, exact same route. And again, this time, instead of being accompanied by a procession of celebrating Egyptians, we have rebellious, resistant Egyptians who, who are furious and under the direction of this horrible Pharaoh, right? Right? And so instead of, because they're partnering with Israel, they're resisting God and they're resisting Israel. What happens to the Egyptians on the second procession? Exactly. Exactly. They get killed. But the same thing happens. They're heading to Zion. They're heading to Jerusalem. They're heading to the promised land. And this time, the people who won't go and celebrating with Israel are wiped out. It's a picture. Do you see it? It's so much of a picture and so much of as I was doing my studies through this first 14 chapters of Exodus that I almost changed my mind of what we're going to cover next year in Bible study because I've already got it pretty well set. Now I've got my little pattern figured out. But as I was going, I'm like, oh, Lord, please tell me I'm not, I'm not ready for revelation. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready for revelation. But I couldn't get around it. There were so many points. And I, I mean, I'm just barely scratching the surface on how many points of this are matching up with Rebbe. I've been praying about it. Right now, um, I believe the Lord is listening to me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're doing Matthew, which is exciting also. Anyway, we'll see what the Lord has to say about that. All right. So isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting that those two processions and God's beautiful plan, he's giving us a picture. And don't you see it all throughout Exodus? It's all a picture of this and a picture of that that you and I are able to see. Why? Because we're on this side of the cross.
we're on this side of the cross and we can see all that. All right, so that was my intro. Now we're ready. I've given you plenty of time to figure out where Acts is. All right, chapter 7, we're going to be in verse 15. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, the ESV. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, and he and his father, and our fathers. Remember, this is Stephen, by the way. He's giving this big speech in front of the uh, Jewish leaders, the high priests and all that. They're going to kill him in just a minute. But he's going to get a word in. <laughs> They're going to, he's going to get a word in. Here we go. And he died, and he and our fathers, and they, they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver, the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with their race, forced our fathers to expose their infants so they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was bo um, born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was given them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Oh, the irony. Um, do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt." This Moses, who they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and judge, this man God sent both as ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Wow. Right? Great summary. Good job, Stephen. Nice final words before you go meet Jesus, by the way. That's a pretty good way to go out. So we head into that. We get this great summaries. And I, I read that as a reminder, go to the new to learn more about the old. If it's re-mentioned again in the new, it's really, really important. So make sure you're using that as a habit as you do your studies as well. So let's go ahead and just kind of move through our passage here to, um, together. And as a quick reminder, I don't know that I need to, but again, we will be doing a Q&R after this. And so I hope I have some juicy questions. I'm really hoping you'll ask. <laughs> we'll see how that goes tonight. All right. So there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know. And I want us to know the word yada. Yada. This is an important word. Who did not know Joseph. And this is an important thing to understand because in a minute we're going we're gonna to talk about this whole issue with uh, God and Pharaoh and how they 
how God deals with Pharaoh. And so the scripture records that it is not, no, it does not yada Joseph. Um, it, is that true? I'll just say right now, no, it's not true. There's no way he didn't know who Joseph was. People can know without acknowledging, right? That's the sense here. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God, yada. We're getting a, a, a juxtaposition here. You say you don't know, you're going to find out, right? And God knew. And he, we have all the ways that God knew. He heard, he remembered, he saw, and we see Pharaoh repeatedly acting like he doesn't know. And we know from the New Testament, because Paul wrote it so eloquently in the beginning of chapter one of Romans, man chooses to deny what's right in front of their face about the reality of who God is. And this is a prime example of um, what, what Pharaoh has done. So God knew, but the people are wondering, of course, where is he? Because Pharaoh has made their lives bitter. He's made them afflicted. Um, he sets taskmasters over them to afflict them with their heavy burdens. And uh, we want to see, again, pictures in scripture. And so we want to understand that Pharaoh is, yes, a, a real person, but Pharaoh is also ultimately representative because later on in the New Testament, we're going to see this is exact issue, which interestingly, I love it. It came up on um, Sunday in the message. So the Lord said, Yahweh said, I have seen, I have heard, I have known Yada. I have come to bring up and I will send. I will surely do this as good as anything is to be expected. This I will do. And so he says, uh, not only that, but I will deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good, pleasant land. And he describes this wonderful land. And all the nations that are around, he's going to take care of them, Amorites, Perizzites, and Mosquitoites, and all those ites. <laughs> and from there, we, will, we meet God, who's the God who's going to do this. Because Moses says to him in this encounter, who am I? And this is an, this is an incredible place to be and a daring stance to take. Because you've just been told by Yahweh, he's going to take care of business, and now you're reflecting on yourself. You, you put it back to you. You made it about you. So in one sense, it's humble and honest about his shortcomings. But in another sense, it's silly. <laughs> There's a bush burning in front of you that is not being consumed. You don't think God's got this figured out? So the who am I question, it's, it's dual. It's humble, but it's silly as well. And it's a good reminder for us. Who are you? Who cares? <laughs> who cares? You're dealing with God. God's got this. It has nothing to do with who you are. If it did, we would all be out of hope because we're all actually just little pharaohs, right? So who am I? And God's response, again, is focused on introducing himself. I will be with you. I have sent you, and this will be a sign for you. And he gives them the signs. When you bring out the people of Egypt, you, you'll serve God right here on this mountain where you and I are having this conversation. You're going to be right back here where your barefoot little 10 piggies are in the dirt, right? Moses says to God, 
if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Pause. Great question. Here's why it's, it's great. Uh, because in the culture, in that time, a God did not have power if you knew his name. The Egyptian belief was, I can control a God if I know his name. I can control that God. So you never knew the real names of gods because you could wield power over a God if you knew his name. So naming was a big deal. Naming was a big deal. So God gives him a name that is so far outside of time and reality because there's no way to anchor that. And we're going to see in a minute that all the other gods are anchored in time and reality. They're all anchored in a, a being of some kind. And God is outside of all that. So that's the, the first part. And the second, the second part is, is he, wants to, he's, he wants to get it right. He's going to go before Pharaoh. And he's going to say all of this. But there's this, again, this duality of like, oh, I'm part of my culture. And if I go back to that Egyptian area, they're going to ask, who's your God? He knows that. Because that, he lived there. He spent those 40 years there. He know that this is what's, this is what's coming. So he says, um, what's, the, what's the name? What do I say? Because I know that's what he's going to ask. And this is exactly what Pharaoh asks. Exactly what ends up happening. So he says what we already know. A yeh, a share, a yeh. I am who I am. There is nothing about God that's anchored in a physical, anything physical. Every other Egyptian God we're going to meet is anchored in physical reality. God is outside of all of that. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I was who I was. It's past, present, future. That's him. He's outside of all of that. Isn't that incredible? What a difference it makes. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I'm to be remembered. Go and gather the elders of Israel. Moses. Okay. As we know, he doesn't do that. Um, go and gather the elders of Israel. Elders in the Hebrew, by the way, simply means old person. Go get the old people. That's all it means at this point. It is literally what it means. Um, later on, there's going to be a quantifying to that. And we think of elders like deacons and elders of the church. You get out. Nope. <laughs> don't do that. Don't put what you think over to there. And don't use that as a moral principle of how to organize your church yet. We're going to get there, but don't do it yet. <laughs> so, all right. Um, so he says, I'm going to get you out of here. Amorites, parasites, mosquito bites, all that stuff. He repeats all that, to, what to say. And I'm telling the Lord, uh, Yahweh, God of Hebrews, met with us. And we're going to, we want to go on a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can sacrifice to Yahweh, our God. But I know, God says, Yada, I know the king of Egypt will not let you go. Oh, no, he will not let you go. Uh, compel. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I resisted it for two Bible studies. I want you to know it is, it is not on either of the other two recordings. <laughs> oh, it just was overcome. <laughs> um, but I know, Yadad, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Another very important wording here because Pharaoh is the, is the hand of God. And so for God to say, I'm going to deliver you with a mighty hand, God is basically setting up an arm wrestle with Pharaoh. 
That's what he's doing. I'm going to deliver you with a mighty hand. Okay. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt. Who do you think's hand has the longest reach? Do you remember that when you're sitting in the back seat of the car? <laughs> Are you sitting behind mom or dad? Whoever, you know. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. <laughs> and I will give the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. Every woman will ask her neighbor, cup, cup of sugar, and she'll just dump a bunch of gold on your lap. And uh, silver, gold, jewelry, clothing, everything you can want. It's the best, you know, clothing fair ever. Uh, thread up is nothing on this, right? You shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and they shall plunder the Egyptians. And Moses cannot picture himself going back. And God reminds him, everybody who's after you is dead. Remember that? He said, everyone is dead who wanted you dead. And God reminds him of that. And um, still, he's hesitant. And uh, here's the issue with that. He is meeting face-to-face with God, burning bush, holy ground, all the things that God is saying. God's, you know, incredible. He's overwhelming him. And it's hard for us to imagine not being completely overwhelmed, especially when we read later on in accounts like Isaiah's, who was, who am I, a man of unclean lips? And he's like, he just melts in front of God. This is a really different, God is introducing himself in a way that doesn't melt Moses in this situation. Why? Why is Moses still doubting? Why is he still struggling why because Moses doesn't know God he doesn't yada God not really he doesn't he doesn't he sees him he's experiencing something but he doesn't really know God he just doesn't yet Moses knows what he has known all this time and he has been on the lamb basically you know and he set up a pretty good life for himself over in Midian nice late lady wife Zipporah all her six sisters, this night's dad-in-law Jethro. He didn't really have his own dad, so he's got this great guy and this. He's got a good life. And all he has in his past is the rejection and the defeat and everything that happened in Egypt. And he has to not only go back to Egypt, but he has to have a face-off with this pharaoh he doesn't even know. He's never met this guy. He's, the other guy's dead by now. This is a new, new pharaoh. So Moses needs to know God. And God is going to help Moses move in on what his failings were and his weakness and his holdings and all the things that have kept Moses from really being, had to happen, had to happen, so that God can work through him so that he can be who he ultimately ends up being, an incredible, obviously an incredible man of God. So Yahweh says, look at, I'm going to get personal here. Israel's my firstborn, <laughs> my firstborn child. And I say to you, this is what he's going to tell Pharaoh, you let my son go so he can serve me. If you refuse to let him go, eh, we're going to be okay. No. Behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Notice he jumps all the way up and over every single plague to the last one. He jumps over all of that. right? So God gives Moses exactly what to say. Let's him know that Pharaoh's not going to go along with it. Wouldn't that be nice if we had that in our life today as we are thinking about that person that we want to help them see God? God says, hey, they're not going to listen to you. Just so you know. It's going to be a long time. Wouldn't that be nice? But you know what God does instead? He gives us the entire Old and New Testament that we can read people's stories and go, 
worked out kind of quick for this guy, and it worked out 40 years for that guy. Somewhere in the middle, <laughs> you know? Just trust me, is the ultimate story here, because we're not getting that, you know, from God. So he gets very personal about his mission. This is about my firstborn son. This isn't about a bunch of slaves. You are interrupting God's plan of salvation. This started in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned. And it set up that, that tension and that fight. And now we've got an ultimate redeemer to come and God's gotta bring Jesus. Do not mess with my people. They're bringing salvation to the world and no one at this time has any clue about any of that. They have no clue. That's not on their mind. They don't know the name Jesus from Hyundai. They, they, have, they don't know anything about any of this, right? So he gets up close and he gets personal with them. He heads in there and just like God had said, Moses goes to Egypt. He gets up before Pharaoh, elderless, if you recall. <laughs> um, and the first thing Pharaoh says is a poke right back at God. Wow. But Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should obey and let Israel go? I do not yada Yahweh. I don't know Yahweh. Yes, you do. It is written on every human's heart since the beginning of time. How do I know that? Because his breath is in me. It's literally in my DNA. You have to be so callous and so blind and so repeatedly choosing your way over and over and over again in your pride to ignore that reality. I don't know. Yada, you have chosen to forget Yahweh. So Moses and Aaron go, thus says Yahweh, first occurrence of many in the Bible. The very first time it occurs, though, is right here in this passage. I would highlight that and circle it. And then when you have some time, I want you to compare that phrase, thus says the Lord, with another incredible phrase. Because over and over again, you're going to see, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, attached to every plague. And it's going to end the thus says the Lord um, in uh, chapter 12-ish. Uh, and then it's going to pick up again later on in, jo in uh, Joshua. But there's another grouping of words that are very similar that line up. How many times does he say, thus says the Lord? Every time he hits them, he does. Thus says the Lord, this is what's going to happen. Thus says the Lord, this is going to happen. When was the last time you can recall a phrase about God talking came out and then something happened? And God said, go back to Genesis 1. And God said, and God said, and God said. We have it 10 times there. We have it 10 times here. On a hunch, can you think of a place in the Bible where 10 more times, 10 words are going to come up? It's next lesson, by the way. You're going to get excited to see that. So um, he says, let my people go so they can hold a feast. Remember the previous Pharaoh 400 years ago, Josh, uh, Joseph says, let my people go. And he's like, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll send you out myself. We'll go together. And this guy says, <clears throat> who is Pharaoh? I should obey his voice. I don't know him, blah, 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 blah. So Pharaoh doesn't just not let him go. He gets, digs in and increases their labor. Um, maybe if the elders had been there, they could have helped ameliorate that, soften that between, with the people. Well, that's beside the point at this, at this juncture. Um, this sets off what God has promised will happen. And just as God said it would, but before that, Moses takes up issue with God, right? Oh, Lord, he says, chapter 5, verse 22. Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why are you messing around with these people? Why did you ever even send me 
<laughs> For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people. This is exactly how I would have responded, I think. I probably would have been even worse. I thought you said you're going to deliver. I want a microwave miracle from the Lord. I want to just pop it in and get it done. Beep, bop, bitty, boop, and send it on its way. Hot pockets, right? <laughs> And God's not like that. He's the total crockpot God. He is. He just, everything's just going to get in there and simmer for a while. And not those nice Instapot ones that pressurize everything. It's like it's going to take some time. But Moses wants it now like we do as well, right? God reminds him there's a reason. There's a reason why all of this is happening exactly like this. And in this conversation to come, we're going to see the most concentrated groupings of I will promises from God in response to Moses' pushback here. So, kicked off by God's I am reminder and a little history lesson, but the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. I'm not a microwave God, right? This is gonna be the slow burn, literally. You will see what I will do to Pharaoh with a strong hand, the hand, remember that? He will send them out with a strong hand. He will drive them out of his land, right? So God spoke to Moses and said, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob um, as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. And I, I, this is saying, he, he did, because we have it back then. But he's saying, I did not make myself known out in this way, experientially known in this grand way that you're going um, to see. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. And if you recall, that covenant was established between God and Abraham, and it was God who established it. Abraham was asleep the whole time that God makes this big covenant. God established the whole thing. It had nothing to do with man at all. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, none of them. This is all on God. He's going to do this. He's reminding him, reminding him, reminding him. So he says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. First occurrence of redeem. It's right there. I will redeem you with what? An outstretched arm. Pharaoh has the strong hand. Hand. We get the whole arm of God. An outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, right? So I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Remember that what God had said when the nations split back in Genesis. God said he took Israel. He's going to, well, he's going to reiterate this in Deuteronomy. But at the beginning, when the nations split, he's saying, I'm taking Israel as my possession. And the 70 nations, they all split. If you don't remember that from the Genesis study, go back to your Bible and reread it, your lesson book and reread it, or go watch the teaching video from that. It'll be covered in the Genesis um, teaching from chapters 6 through 11, I believe. Fascinating how this is all coming to be right here in this point right now. So... Moses spoke thus, is all this, the people, but they didn't listen to Moses. They don't listen to him at this point because, listen, their spirit, their ruach, their ruach was broken, it says. They had a broken spirit, right? Because of the harsh slavery. Listen, listen right now. All of you have someone in your life that you love 
that you care about, that you're pleading with God for. And maybe, just maybe, the reason why they can't hear, they can't receive, they can't yada, what you're trying to help them understand is their ruach is broken. And listen, listen, because they're in harsh slavery. They're not in Egypt. No one's beating them with the whip. They're not being made to make mud bricks, but they're in slavery, like John 8 says. What did Christ come to do? To set us free, right? And knowing that truth of who Jesus is is what sets us free from slavery, right? But they can't hear. Their ruach is broken. Listen, who is the one who's in control of the ears and the eyes of Pharaoh? Who's the one who even is in control of his heart in a sense who we're going to see hardens it? Plead to God. He is in control of the eyes and the heart and the ears of that person that you love. Ask God, God, let them see. Let them hear. Allow me to be an instrument for their ruach, which may be broken, right? Because of their harsh slavery, because they're in sin. That's their bondage, right? And God will deliver. I will, I will, I will. God is not changed. You come before him and you plead with him for that. So I'd like you to hop over to Romans chapter 9 because we're going to talk right now about God's sovereignty. It's very perplexing, you would think. Why would God, why would God cause Pharaoh's heart to be hardened? Why couldn't he just soften Pharaoh's heart? Let my people go. Okay. You want some pudding cups for the road? You know? Here's some gold and silver. And No, he, he hardens Pharaoh's heart. And, and it's perplexing, and, and there's a good reason for it. But in Romans chapter 9, beginning of verse 15, I'll, I'll just start reading there. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show what? My power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in the earth. And that's exactly what ends up happening. But we have to go back to the beginning of the story when Pharaoh says, first off, off the bat, without God intervening at all, I'm the taskmaster, you get to work, I'm going to enslave all you people. He poked God's kids in the eye. Right? He started it, in a sense. Right? And he didn't relent. When he was asked to let the people go, he doubles down. Right? And we're going to see over and over again that God's going to do, all right, we're going to move you toward what you've already committed to because I need my glory to be shown in this. Ladies, I know, I know what it looks like and feels like to plead with God for someone's broken ruach, to plead with God to free someone from slavery. If you haven't heard my story, if you haven't heard my testimony, I encourage you to go on my YouTube channel and listen to that because there came a day in my life where I pleaded with God. And I looked in a sentence and said, how do you get glory if my... Marriage ends in divorce. How does that glorify you? God, please heal our marriage. I want you to get the glory, right? That, that broken spirit, that slavery that was entwined in our marriage. And praise God. It was a long time, a long battle for that, but he did. 
But over this battle, God is going to show his glory over and over again. So we're going to talk about that with all the plagues that come through. And this chart is available on my website. It's from Logos Software. By the way, you can just get it on the interwebs. Um, but I'll put it up on my website as well so you can go check it out there. So the plagues have a purpose and the plagues have an audience. The plagues have a purpose and the plagues have an audience. The plagues have more than one audience and several purposes. Um, but we have at least three audiences in mind with these plagues. First audience is the Egyptians, the Gentiles. And the second audience is the Israelites. And we can categorize them as the people who will choose God and uh, choose God and choose not to go with God. And then we have the general audience out there, the Canaanites, the other nations around them. So there's an audience going on. So we're going to just move through all of these because what Pharaoh is going to do, uh, what, what God is going to do, he's going to strengthen. That's what that word, by the way, harden, the Hebrew word, it means strengthen. It helps his resolve. We're gonna, he's going to need it in just a minute. But we think of harden like a, like a hard rock. And it has that connotation, but it actually is a strengthening of, of somebody, like to, to lift them up and strengthen them so they can continue going. The same thing's going to happen later on because Moses is going to need to be strengthened. His hand's going to drop in a little bit. We're going to see that in a little bit, and his arm's going to get lifted up. Anyway, um, so we've got everything that's happening around here is um, God's answer to Pharaoh's resistance and also... God's saying, let my, my, don't mess with my kid, right? So I want to teach you a word here that's, that's very important with the plagues. This is P word also, and the word is polemic, P-O-L-E-M-I-C, polemic. And a polemic is an argument against a certain, toward a certain point. And I always think of the, the idea of a pole. It doesn't have anything to do with that, uh, but it helps me remember it. So I'm going to go through each of the plagues, and I'm going to tell you which God, um, God is saying, Yahweh is saying, no. All right, you have your gods, lowercase g. I'll tell you who's in charge. First is that plague, the Nile, and the water's all turning to blood. And this is uh, against, a polemic against the Nile god, whose name is Hopi, H-A-P-I, if you want to write that down. Um, the second is our frogs. And uh, you've probably seen this in Egyptology if you've ever seen pictures, but this is the frog goddess Hect, H-E-Q-T, and uh, obviously powerless to prevent it. Uh, the third is the dust turning into gnats. This is the Lord of Magic, and his name is Thoth, T-H-O-T-H. Um, he can't help. He's out. Um, and then we have the, number four, the flies are the gadflies on Egypt, uh, except for Goshen, no, <laughs> where Israel was living. And the God wasn't able to prevent any of that. And we have Thoth, P-T-A-H, Thoth, um, who is the God over that realm. Um, the fifth one is the, the pestilence disease on the livestock. And maybe you've heard of the goddess Hathor. Um, this was a sacred cow goddess. And then the god Apis, A-P-I-S, who is the bull god. And so this is a swipe at those gods. You think you've got gods? I'll tell you what, fix that, gods. And they, of course, do not. Uh, boils. And this would have been a, a stab at the healing deity gods. You've probably heard of Isis. Isis is in that category, unable to help and fix any of this, of course, impotent. Um, thunder and hail coming down, just decimating the place. And this is the controller of lightning and the god Reshpu, Reshpu, R-E-S-H-P-U. Then we have a, um, the locusts that come out, and this is the fertility god, who is the god of all the crops, protecting the, the fertile of the, 
uh, nature of the crops. This is min, M-I-N. Then we have three days of darkness. This is raw. Probably we've heard, we've seen the movie The Mummy and all that. You've seen like a lot of this stuff in those movies. Uh, so we have Ra, and we also have Horus, uh, which would be the sun, solar, solar god. And then finally, 10, um, death of the firstborn, um, including Pharaoh's own firstborn, who was also considered Ra uh, incarnate. So Pharaoh is a god incarnate, and then his son would have been the next god incarnate to go up, and he takes care of, of all of us. If Pharaoh had been a firstborn, Pharaoh would have died. Fair was not a firstborn, apparently, because he doesn't die. But his kid does, his firstborn son uh, does. Everything's in God's sovereignty, how he takes care of all that, because we don't want Pharaoh to die yet. God needs to get some glory. We need to finish this whole scene out. So all those false gods are supposed to protect all of the Egyptians. They were there. They were worshipped. And remember what I said when God introduced himself. Who is God? I am. Outside, not anchored in anything physical. But every single one of the gods, none of the gods are anchored in anything but something physical. The grain and the frog and the Nile River itself and all those things. So God says, I'm up and above and overarching over, um, over all of that. And we see again, um, sandwiched the, the opening and closing uh, of the plagues, both have to do with blood. I will, cease the, I will cease the water and I'll turn that into blood. I'll control that. And then I will be using blood to protect my people and I will stop the lifeblood. I will stop the Nile River flowing of blood inside of your own body. So that uh, the plagues are anchored both beginning and end with the idea of, of the blood, which is obviously extremely important in, in scripture as well. So then he moves on and we have, you know, we've got the plague situation. I want to talk a little bit about the Passover. How many of you have participated in a Passover before? Some of you have been in my home and done them with me. And I want to extend the invitation again, like I always do every year. You are all always welcome to come to our home. And the, the Passover will be in the spring and we'll, we'll do that again like we always have, Lord willing. So Egypt is devastated by all these plagues. Um, and uh, God is bringing his judgment, obviously, on all of Egypt. And he says this, it is the Lord's Passover. So he's going to declare this another feast day, a holiday. It's going to start their whole calendar. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. That's why I know this is a polemic, because he says that on all the gods of Egypt. I will pass judgment. So boom, 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 boom. Like he nails it all the way down the line. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign to you. It's the very first sign of all the plagues and it's the very last sign. So a sandwich between everything is the blood. Okay? Go back to Genesis and look for that metaphor, that picture as well. Because it's there in the beginning as well. Um, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When you see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The message of that 10th plague is God is holy. God is just. And it's also that God is merciful. He will have mercy on who he will have mercy. Right? The blood of the lamb is what protects the house. But they had to have that. God provided a way where he could be both just, take care of Egypt, and merciful. And he did it at the same time. Isn't that incredible? He's just and he's merciful at the same time. We need God to be that. Or we would like him to be just on all those guys out there. <laughs> but we need him to be merciful for us, right? He's at the same time just and merciful. 
We might call this salvation through a substitute. Why? Because the lamb was slain. An innocent lamb. What did that lamb do? You brought it into your house. You get to know the lamb. Don't name the lamb. <laughs> and then the lamb is slain. It, it should play on our sympathies. It should make us think, oh man. Right? Because then, like we were singing earlier about the cross, it was for my sin that he hung there. Oh, man. Right? That's what it should feel like. And that's exactly what it did. You have to look to the lamb. You have to look to the lamb that was pierced for you. You have to embrace him in faith. He's your only protection from God's wrath. That's your protection. And faith is the instrument. Do it or don't do it. You don't have to, you don't have to do it. But I'm telling you, this is the way that it has to be done. God is saying to his people. And so the Lord said to Moses, Yahweh says, set apart, consecrate, make holy. We're going to use, we're going to get into this word a lot in Leviticus. Set apart to me the firstborn. Whoever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. Listen, what's going to happen next is a picture of this. Set apart, the first to open the womb among people of Israel is mine. Hold on to that. We're going to get there in a second. And Moses says to the people, fear not, stand firm, because what happens next is Pharaoh draws near. You would think after Passover and the moaning and wailing in that nation is going out that they're just, they're overcome, they're done. And the people would be done too. And maybe upset with their, with their Pharaoh. Mourning and wailing after their children. Pharaoh has lost his own firstborn. He's gone. But Pharaoh draws near. Pharaoh gets a second wind. Where did he get that? God did. There's no way in normal circumstance a person would do that. God does it. Not only that, but he strengthens everybody to obey Pharaoh. And all the king's horses and all the king's men are going to gather together and go after him, right? The hand is going to go out of Pharaoh. But the arm of God is ready, right? Outstretched. So the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. What would have been their expression? Aren't you all dead or dying in, 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 or burying your people? And listen to what they say. They cried out to the Lord. And is it because there's no graves in Egypt? There were no graves in Egypt. They were filled with all their dead family members. There weren't any graves left in Egypt. Literally, there's no graves. They still have barely recovered from all their... The cows and the sheep dying all over the place and the squished carcasses of frogs all over. The, there's death everywhere. There's only life if you're with God's people. That's only where life is going to be. Are there no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? They're not even in the wilderness yet. They're not. They're just barely itching out of Goshen. What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Oh, you wait and see. You don't even have the beginning of what we've done. Is not this that we have said to you in Egypt, leave us alone and may serve the Egyptians? <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> you want to serve the Egyptians? How quickly we change our tune. It's really hard sometimes to be on God's side, though, because we really just wanted it to be easy. Again, we want the microwave God version of the whole story. But then it really does come down to us having to sit there and face down some terrible situations. And you've all been in a scenario before where you're over your head. And we will be talking about it later in our series, Straight Out of Context. That's exactly when you need God the most. God's not going to just like, oh, I'm not going to give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. He'll totally give you more than you will handle. That is not what that verse means. 
right? They are out of their league in this situation. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. He's going to work for you today. The Egyptians who you see today, you'll never see him again. Yahweh will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Be quiet. Just watch. Watch what Yahweh will do. And then Moses kind of turns over to God. Uh, what's going on here? Uh, the Lord says, um, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Okay. We've seen the movie. We have an image of what that means. Never in the history of mankind has someone lift up a staff and stick it out over water and it's going to divide. There's no frame of reference for Moses to have in this moment. He hadn't seen the Prince of Egypt yet. <laughs> so you're sticking a staff out and the sea's going to divide. Okay, and it does. <laughs> it does, right? Stick your staff out and it will divide. The people of Israel are going to go through on dry ground. If anyone's ever had to water a lawn and then somehow you had to walk across because you forgot something, you know it's not going to dry like that. But God evaporates the water out of that ground. So I will harden as hard as that ground is that you're going to be able to walk on. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go after them. So now he's not just talking about Pharaoh. He's hardening the hearts of all the Egyptians who are still on Pharaoh's side. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. And so they will go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. Host. These are the armies of Pharaoh. God's got his host. Pharaoh has his. It's a picture. It's a picture. His chariots, his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, his horsemen. He could have just stopped at Pharaoh, but he wants Moses to see everything that is involved with Pharaoh, Egypt, your story is going to be gone. It's going to be completely wiped out. This is our God. This is who we have. This is who the people sing to, sing about in Psalm that I had you writing this last week and memorizing. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. This is our God. This is the one who defies common sense and how he's going to deliver because couldn't he really couldn't he really have just said, let my people go? No, I will. Okay, boop, and they're bound. They're over in, they're in Israel. All of a sudden, they all they disappear. I mean, he's going to do it someday. We're all just going to disappear someday, right? He couldn't he have done it right then. He's going to get the glory. He's going to take the time. He's got to get where he's going, right? He's got to do things that we would never think of. In a sense, he's going to do something that's reckless, it's, it's like if a human acted like this, it would be out of control. When God does it, it's incredible that you're pulling all of this together. You're connecting all the dots for us. You're helping us to see your glory. Because why? We need it today. I need it. In my heart, my ruach feels broken. I'm tired. I need to be reminded of the glory of God that he's going to get. So that I don't... I don't shrink back under the weight of the burden of what I'm dealing with in my life. But I say, God, how will you get glory if I remain shackled like this? I need to be released. I want you to be glorified. And I take it off from being about me and I bring it up. God, get 
glory out of this. That's the love of God. That's what satisfies our needs. Because I know that he will fight for me. Because when you are in a relationship with someone who's apathetic, eh, they're not willing to fight. Eh, let it ride. God is willing to fight. That's the God who loves us. That's the model that we have to look over. That is the reckless love of God. That's what that looks like. To, to be overwhelmed by that. To know that he sought for us. He fought for us. He, he, he longed for us. And he still does. You have to be on his side. You have to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. You will get swept away like the Egyptians did. Remember, I asked you to keep that verse in mind. Consecrate, set apart all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast is mine. Israel was the first to be born, in that sense, out of Egypt. Because why? They crossed through the water of the sea. When they crossed through, they became, that's when they became a nation. And that water birth that they went through is the exact same picture we have today of baptism. My, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ being born of water and of blood is this picture right here of coming up and out of Egypt, out of jail, out of prison, out of sin, out of all the oppression and the affliction and the bitterness and through all the ways that God will be glorified and out through that Red Sea and in and up toward the next big procession, Jew and Gentile together, desire. That's where the, the ultimate glory of God is headed. And that is where we see, again, that reckless love of God calling to us to be born, to come out of Egypt. And we're going to see over and over again as we continue through this study, Israel's tendency to want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> and God's going to fight for them over and over, not without consequence. <laughs> but he's going to fight for them just like he does for us today. Just like he does for that person that you love, that you're caring for, that you're praying and longing for. Continue that. Fight for that person on your knees with God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your great love for us.